Welcome to the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. I'm Jack O'Brien, Finance Editor for Health Leaders. My guest today is Megan Hutchison, CFO of Lovelace Medical Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Megan, thank you for joining me today. You bet. I'm glad to join. While the outbreak of coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, has infected over 1.3 million people, and killed thousands across the country, states are beginning the process of slowly reopening for business. Hospitals, which temporarily canceled elective procedures to meet the demand caused by the pandemic, are also coming back online and examining the financial damage they've suffered over the past few months. Acknowledging that, I'd like to start our conversation there. Megan, how has Lovelace dealt with the COVID-19 outbreak, and what has it required from you as a hospital leader? Well, Jack, our first priorities, as I feel like they always should be, and we do as other leaders here um, in the hospital, is to take care of our patients, our community, and our staff. We have um, really solidified several different policies to ensure that we're doing that. We have increased screenings um, throughout our whole facilities. We've actually got three separate buildings here, and um, you have to have your temperature taken and you're asked a series of questions coming in the building at any time. We also have universal masking, and we are ensuring that we're isolating COVID-19 patients and prospective patients to keep everybody safe. Safety for our team essentially is, you know, is key for us. We want to make sure that everyone has appropriate PPE, that we're following all infection control guidelines, that we're properly training people how to don and doff with all of their PPE as they're walking into a COVID unit. And um, we continue to do employee daily assessments, making sure if, you know, you're getting a fever, let's, let's check you out. Let's make sure that you're okay. And, you know, if you're not and you're feeling poorly, then you go home, but we stay in constant contact with you. And we also have um, kind of reestablished our whole ER triage system so that, you know, we're keeping people behind the lines safe through plexiglass and um, just making sure that every precaution that we can take for our team is, is being taken. We were the very first in the state to perform drive-through testing, which I'm very proud of. Um, initially, we had um, very specific criteria that we used to screen, but now we're really just encouraging that everybody get tested. It's very advantageous if you find out early if you've got it. Our leaders have collaborated with the state and other systems to prepare. So we are one of three health systems in Albuquerque, and all of our leaderships have gotten together. And we, you know, we none of us had an idea of what a surge in New Mexico would look like. So all of us, we really prepared to ensure that if the highest surge were to come, that we would be we'd be ready. Um, we've made several of our nursing units actually have negative pressure. So this assists in ensuring that the spread doesn't happen through like air conditioners. And that, that was a pretty big feat. We have an amazing maintenance guy. So he, he really, you know, hit that early. We started hitting that in March, which is fantastic. We've supported efforts in social distancing, and even prior to any government mandates, we started ramping down our elective procedures to ensure that we were you know, keeping our patients and our staff safe. And we're also um, supporting the DOH and their efforts in keeping New Mexico safe. Which kind of brings me to my next question, which is as the state reopens, as of the time that we're recording this, about 40 states are at some 
point reopening for business. What is Lovelace's plan to bring those elective procedures back online? And what do you expect from the clinical demand and how your organization will be able to handle that demand? Well, the first thing is safety. Safety first. You know, we want to make sure that we are following all of our policies and all Department of Health guidelines to ensure that we're always available to care for the sickest of patients, you know, whether they have COVID, whether they're rule out of COVID, or whether they don't have COVID. Um, those things are key. We've got a phased approach to begin surgeries and procedures to make sure we have sufficient supplies, equipment, and staffing to provide a safe and effective environment for our patients and our staff. I feel like we're going to be kind of ahead of the curve because in the beginning, our providers, probably around the middle of March, towards the end of March, they started offering telemedicine appointments to provide patients with needed care from the safety of their own home. This has really allowed us to continue to monitor and manage the care of those for anybody who had an upcoming procedure. We maintained contact with them and then we're gonna be able to start scheduling the procedures as soon as we can when it's safe enough for them. But we've been able to maintain that constant communication with them through telemedicine. So it's been very advantageous. Yeah, I've talked to a number of leaders who see telemedicine and telehealth coming more into the mainstream, and it'll be interesting to see what that looks like in a post-pandemic landscape. Looking back on the past two months, now that we're speaking here in mid-May, mm -hmm. how has your organization handled it from a financial standpoint? I can imagine that the loss of elective procedures on a large scale has been difficult. So where does Lovelace stand as it relates to the financial impact? And how are you looking to bolster the organization's bottom line ahead of a potential second or third wave in the fall and winter? Well, our purpose, regardless of any time, is always to care for others in times of need. I don't really think that's any different than any other healthcare providers in our community or even across the globe at this point. So our primary focus remains on meeting the needs of our patients, community, and staff during this pandemic. You're absolutely correct. COVID-19 has had a significant impact on our, on our organization and community. We're very appreciative of our, all of the federal and state support received thus far, but healthcare providers across the nation, including us, have been impacted financially, um, particularly as a result of the government directives to suspend the elective surgeries, procedures, and any type of ambulatory care visits. But we are really trying to plan properly so that we're going to be fiscally responsible and you know, ensure that while being fiscally responsible, we're continuing to provide quality care for our patients and protecting, you know, their safety of, of course, patients, community, and staff. There's a lot that, that we look at with a fine-tooth comb. And um, as a finance person, I'm always looking at the bottom line, but always keeping the patient's perspective in mind priority because that's what's appropriate. And I think that with proper planning, we're going to be all right. And we'll be able to even continue to care for everyone during the second and third wave if it comes, like you mentioned, towards the fall or winter, where we've got proper segregation and, and great policies and controls to ensure everybody's safe. Absolutely. That planning aspect is going to be so crucial once we come into a potential second wave and if it dovetails in with flu season, it's anybody's guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And the good thing about that, too, though, is that now we have a really good idea of what to expect. We'll be able to 
you know, make a unit negative pressure immediately, you know, and we can just keep things segregated, but then also just knowing that, you know, our care has changed forever. We always need to have, you know, proper equipment, proper um, PPE, everything. Um, and I think everybody's going to be all right because now we have an idea of what to expect. I think that's that's real key there too. Yeah, I've spoken to other leaders who echo exactly what you're talking about in terms of lessons learned and adapting to whatever this new normal will be until we get some sort of effective antiviral therapy or vaccine. So it'll be something to pay attention to. I do, sure will. I do appreciate your time and and hopping on the phone with me here. My last question is a two-parted one, which is, first, how do you think that the New Mexico healthcare market has handled the spread of COVID-19? And what are your expectations for how that provider market will look different in that post-pandemic landscape we just talked about? You made the reference to care is forever changed. So I'm curious from your perspective what that's going to look like and what it will mean for your market in particular. Well, first, um, your first part of the question, um, I believe that uh, the New Mexico healthcare market has handled the spread of this remarkably. Like I had mentioned, there's been huge collaboration of New Mexico hospitals, and that's been second to none. I mean, you're talking about competitors coming together and saying, okay, what can we do? You know, we've built lifelong relationships, I think, to ensure that we can all come together in this critical time to treat New Mexicans, but then also it shows that we have the ability to really do it quickly if something were to happen again. So that's a really great thing. Future post-pandemic landscape, telemedicine. Um, I think that we've experienced successes with primary care and specialist appointments, such as orthopedics, where post-op appointments, they can be done via video visits. And that's convenient for patients and allows them to keep their appointment, which is key. But then they don't have to leave. They can stay at home. You know, they can show the doctor through a video, here's how I'm walking, here's how I'm progressing. And I, I think that it's I think that it's a good situation and I think that telemedicine is definitely going to be in our future much more so than it ever has been. Absolutely. I've talked with a number of systems that said that, you know, they might have had some sort of telemedicine. They might have had their toe in the water with telemedicine, but this is just completely pushed them over the edge in terms of the demand that they've ever seen for it. So it'll be interesting to see how many systems either adopt or ramp up the services that they've already had in the months and years beforehand. Yeah, I think we're we're going to definitely be past the toe in the water. We're now going in head first. <laughs> and I think that it's the right thing to do because, you know, what's considered to be elective to one person may not be to another, dependent upon their need. And we want to make sure that we're really caring for all of the patients that we can because we don't want people to put off surgeries. We don't want them to put off, you know, going to the doctor when they have a condition that that's not beneficial to anyone. So it's it's helpful to see telemedicine kind of rise like that because it, it truly is incredibly convenient. Yeah, especially out in a state that does have quite a bit of rural uh, healthcare population like New Mexico. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Megan, it's been wonderful speaking with you. I really do appreciate you taking the time to sit down and share your insights with our audience. We really do appreciate it. Well, I thank you for having me. This has been a joy. Thanks, Jack. Excellent. And thank you to our listeners as well for joining us on the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other.